Good morning, everybody. So I want to share with you uh, today uh, in, in this message uh, two insights that I gained uh, this summer. Um, I, 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 there's two things. Two things is what I learned this summer. And you might sit there and be like, that's kind of pathetic for a whole summer that you only really got two things. Uh, and I might share them with you, and you might say, and just sharing my insecurities with you, you might also go, that doesn't really feel like an insight. An insight feels like it's got a lot more depth than what you just shared. Um, but to me, it's an insight, okay, what I'm about to share, these two things. Uh, the first one's more of a reminder. The two of these are connected, and they're connected uh, be also because not just are they connected with one another, but they're connected because they were involved in the two times I went out of town this summer. Okay? I got to go out of town twice. Maybe you got to go out of town this summer. Um, and the first insight and the first trip that I took was in June, and it was a 24-hour trip that involved going to Lukenbach, Texas. Uh, have any of you been to Lukenbach before? Um, which means that if you've not been to Lukenbach before, uh, it's out in the hill country. It's, a, it's, I don't know, an hour and a half or so west of here, and uh, I'm certain someone's going to come up and know the exact time. It's about an hour and a half uh, west of here. We got lost. It took us about two and a half hours to get there. But we found it eventually. And it's basically this little town um, with a, a general store and a post office and then stages to watch live music. And it's basically meant for that. It's a place to watch uh, live music. In 2006, the official population of Lukenbach was three. Um, I think it's actually declined since then. Uh, but it's just this great music-watching venue. It really was great. And we went with our small group. We went with our small group, um, which we've been journeying with for a number of years uh, while we've been in Austin. And it's, it's three couples, uh, Beth and myself, and then, and then two other couples. And the other couples were excited because we were going to get to go out to Lukenbach and see a singer-songwriter from the Austin area, a guy named Darden Smith. Um, some of you might know Darden Smith. If you ever listen to this, you've got a couple of fans at Covenant, which is good. So... I'd never heard of Darden Smith in my life. I'd never heard of Lukenbach, Texas in my life. But we were going to, I know, and you can pray for my soul, okay? Pray for my forgiveness. You do know that the vast majority of the world has never heard of either of those things either, right? You are aware of that. But, but, but I hadn't, and so you can pray for me if you want to in that, and, uh, and a whole host of other things you can pray about. Anyway, um, it was great. It was so much, it was this great venue, it was great music, it, it, was, it was awesome. Um, but one of the things that was fun was that as our small group went for 24 hours, we had this house that, that one of the folks had access to that was out um, really close to Lukenbach that we got to stay at. Um, it was cool to be with our group because like almost all small groups, sometimes it feels like you're in seasons that work better than others. Sometimes it feels more dry, sometimes it feels more alive and vibrant. And we go through those cycles and they're important. Um, but this is one of those times that you realize that our group has gotten away from needing a book or a curriculum um, because our life is the curriculum. And that's a cool part of intimacy when you hit. Because if you are committed to being with people and telling the truth, that's all the book you need. That's all the curriculum you need. And if you run out of things to talk about really quickly after a couple of weeks of not being together, it's because not everybody's telling the truth who's there. There's enough that goes on in our minds. There's enough that goes on in our families. There's enough that goes on in our careers. There's enough that goes on with our children. There's enough stress and worry and anxiety and dreams and good things that if you get together and folks are being totally honest and, and praying for each other and, and just talking about what's going on in life, uh, that's all you need. And we've, we had hit that point, and it, it was awesome. Now, one of the ways that we work is that we'll have each of the six people who just take some time to check in, and then the other folks will kind of ask some questions, and we'll pray for them, and then the other person in the couple will go, and they'll share, and then as a couple, um, we pray for them and, and kind of talk to them, and, and each group goes. And as you can probably not be surprised if you've been here, I can have a tendency to dominate our group. 
okay? Uh, Or at least I feel that way. And so I was going into this one going, this is great because I don't have any huge things to share. Like usually you're going through some kind of tragedy or some sort of hard thing or some sort of wonderful thing. But I was going into it, it was like, I don't really have like any huge things. And so I'm going to, because I have such a servant's heart, I want to like clear up time for the other people. That was a joke, by the way. Uh, I want to clear up time for the other people to be able to share and to talk. And so what I'm going to do is I'm just going to kind of name some things and then move on real quick to everybody else because I'm such a good person. So they finally, the last thing before the show, they, they, they asked me to go, and, and I just shared some things. And I did the stuff when you don't want to answer the question you say in our world. Oh, you can pray for my kids. You can pray for the busyness. You can pray for things at work. And all of, when you say those, it means nothing. Like, that's the thing any, almost anybody can say. And they're like, okay. And so we went to the show, um, and, and we had fun that night. And we woke up the next morning for breakfast and for the other folks to go. And then s- some folks in our small group said, hey, before we get started, I want to go back to Thomas, because I feel like you totally ducked that question last night. And I know you're like the senior pastor of the church and you talk about this and everything else, but you totally dodged that question last night. And so I'd like to re-ask you, what's going on in your life and how are you doing? And I was like, no, 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 I didn't, there's no huge things I'm hiding, there's nothing else, it's like, I just don't have that much. And then what they said to me was like, we're not just here for the big events in your life. We just like to know what's going on in your mind and your heart. And I was like, okay, well, I kind of thought I shared it, but let me restate some things, and here we go. And I'll just kind of, and then like 45 minutes later went by, and they're like asking questions, and then they're praying for me. And I walked out with this sense where it's like, oh my gosh, like God was moving in that, and I kind of sensed God's call in that, and thinking differently about this, and there was this, this lightness and this air about it. And I was reminded, that's my first insight, I was reminded of the importance and the vitality that comes when we do life together with other people. When you just have people with no agenda that you're just doing life with. These are things you talk about, but I got reminded of it. But I kept wondering, it's like, what was so different about that time that was sticking with me? That was number one insight. We all need this. You need this. I need this. This is the point of the teaching series we're in right now, this growing smaller teaching series. We're in a time where for us and for our families, life feels like it's getting busier and busier and busier. And we are in a time, as we said last week, where there are like unlimited options of what we can do. We can consume more than basically any generation in human history has before, and we're doing it. We're going to concerts, and we're going on trips, and we're going on vacations, and now our vacations compared to someone else's vacation, and we learn about their vacation, and next vacation, we're planning on doing it this way, because we can do that too, and our kids are in school, and they're signing up for activities, and we're getting them ready for sports, and dance, and, 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 and theater, and, and all these different kinds of things and we got to make certain that you know who's carpooling where and we both got our careers and we've got these things and then you promise your mother that we're going to do Thanksgiving there next year and somehow we got to coordinate that and I got to tell my parents that and they're going to be upset about it and we got to figure that out and then we're supposed to go on date nights and we're supposed to stay connected with each other and I want to be a really good parent. I didn't read the parenting book that you had given to me and I know that causes tension in our marriage as well as the fact I don't know what I'm doing with my child but I got all this project to do at work and all these different things and I'm supposed to be a good person and you're asking me to volunteer and all these different things and so life is just moving like this all the time and I'm kind of feeling like this all the time time and my kids are feeling like this all the time and we're looking at them going isn't life great when we're all just feeling this way and all doing all this kinds of stuff and in fact of just consuming all of this and feeling like life's better because we have unlimited options what studies are showing us is that life is getting worse studies are showing us that in the midst of all of these options we're feeling more stressed than ever before we're feeling more pressure than ever before our children are feeling that pressure and living it as never before. We're going to bed at night exhausted and feeling like we're not doing any of the things in our life very well. 
And what we said is, is that rather than just going back into the fall and our schedule's getting bigger and wider and busier and more stressed again, what would it mean to grow smaller? To realize that as Craig Barnes writes, and we've said this before, but listen to it again, it's such wisdom in this statement that for people of faith, life is meant to be received rather than achieved. That life is not about me consuming as much as I can to make certain I or my children don't miss out on anything, because we may miss out on the key to life. But it's about learning in the busyness of life to listen to the voice of God that calls us and our responding to that voice, our receiving the life God has for us, rather than believing that we need to achieve it. What does growing smaller look like? It looks like believing that. Scripture passage that's guiding us in this is from 1 Samuel chapter 3. It's the same we read last week, and I invite you to listen to it again. It says this, Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord under Eli. The word of the Lord was rare in those days. Visions were not widespread. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his room. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel, Samuel, and he said, here I am. And and he ran to Eli and said, here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call. Lie down again. So he went and lay down. The Lord called again, Samuel. Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call, my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. The Lord called Samuel again a third time, and he got up and went to Eli and said, here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore, Eli said to Samuel, go lie down. And if he calls you, you shall say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Now the Lord came and stood there calling as before, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, speak, for your servant's listening. Then the Lord said to Samuel, see, I'm about to do something in Israel that will make both ears of anyone who hears of it tingle. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Lord, we ask no matter who we are or how we walk in here, that we would hear your gospel, your good news, and it would help us to receive the life of joy and abundance and purpose that you have for us. We pray this prayer, each of us. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. So we talked about in this Growing Smaller series that we need to focus in on what are the right things to be concentrating on, the right things to guide our life so we can hear God's call above the noise of life and begin to receive the life God has for us. When we talk about that here at Covenant, we have three kind of key disciplines, three key behaviors that we think are central to everybody, that everybody, no matter whether you're an extrovert or an introvert, no matter if you're single or married, no matter uh, what age or stage of life you are, all of us need to have these disciplines in our life to receive the life God has for us. The first thing we talked about last week is the importance of the discipline of solitude, of being able, as the psalmist writes, to be still and know God. But for many of you, including me, this is the hardest of these three disciplines to do because it's the last one you can just like make action steps about. It's about being in relationship with God. How do you pray? What's your devotional life like? How do you study the scriptures? How does God's word speak to us and lead us? We tried last week to say that as Samuel is being called individually, that God is calling his name, that God 2,600 years ago here in Austin, Texas is calling each of us individually as well. 
That God wants to give us a life of purpose. And so how do we position ourselves in prayer and through scripture uh, and devotion in order to have a healthy spiritual life, to hear and listen that call, hear our name being called out to receive that life. I hope that you've maybe gotten to, to go deeper in that or, or to retrench in that. Or maybe if you struggle with that like I can, uh, that you kind of talk to some other people and learn different ways that they pray and connect with the Lord to open up possibilities for you of how you do that. But this solitude is so important. But what we also see this week is that, is that solitude is not enough because while God's calling our name individually, our callings are never individualistic. That we have to listen in community. The community is the second discipline, the second behavior that we see. And we see it in this text because while God is calling Samuel without Eli in his life, Samuel doesn't understand what's going on. Do you have an Eli in your life? Do you have people that help you to listen to understand what God might be leading or calling or, 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 or prompting us to do. You see, it's a, it's a huge thing to have an Eli. And studies show most of us in our culture and in our country, we don't. We're becoming lonelier in our country, more isolated. And part of that is because we value in our culture the supremacy of individualism. That the individual gets to determine their life. You hear this all the time, and usually we trumpet it as a really good thing, and there are good aspects to it. But it's like, I'm going to live my life in my way with my rhythms and my values, and I've got my truth, and I've got my purpose, and no one's going to tell me who I am. And, and when we hear someone say that, you're like, you're right. I don't want to try to tell you what to think or what to believe or, or anything else. It's about your life and, and everything else. And, and, and the problem with that is that we've also applied that also to our spiritual and religious lives. And so I've got my spirituality. And I don't need to be part of a religion where people say stuff or these rules because I've got my way of understanding who God is. And the problem, as Anne Lamont writes about that, and we've talked about this before, is, is that you can have your own spirituality. And I don't mean this to sound harsh, but it might. The fact is, is that if you do, it's a very shallow spirituality. And the reason that it's shallow is because what happens when it's just me and my spiritual life is... God tends to start looking a certain way. God likes the things we already like. God doesn't like the things we don't like. God likes the political candidates we like. God agrees with the news sources that we choose to get our news from. God likes the values that we like, and God doesn't like the values we don't like. In other words, is it really that you have your spirituality, or is God just a projection of what you already are? And the problem with that spirituality is it will never challenge you. It will never teach you. It will never help your horizons to grow. It will never teach you and, and help you see a different way of living. And unless you are the walking embodiment of perfection, and if you believe you are, you're a horribly destructive person. We all need to be taught and instructed and to grow. And we need other people, therefore, to help us figure out and understand who God is and what his call is. We don't figure this out by ourselves. So what's involved in this kind of community? Because we talk about it a lot, and we want to invite people into it. Well, well, Rowan Williams is the former Archbishop of Canterbury, and, and he writes about this. And he says that for all of us, we need at least two different things. We need two different things in this kind of, of, of community. He says, number one, you need a, a common commitment to transparency, to honesty. And that's it, It's vital. Okay, And the second thing that you need is that you can commit to honesty because you trust that the other people you're being honest with want God's best for you. 
So you trust each other with that. I trust that you want the best for me and that I want the best for you. And so we're going to be honest with each other for those reasons. Notice what it's not. It's not saying, do you have people to go to concerts with or to tailgate with? You know, it's like, it's, it's what it's saying is, do you have people to be totally honest with? You can have gone to a tailgate party at UT Games with the same people for 20 years, but, and maybe they're the people you're really walking with, but ask yourself the question, if you were totally honest about how you're doing, would you freak them out or not, right? Like, if you're there, and they're like, so, how you guys been doing? You're like, well, we're actually really struggling with this. Would they just be going like, I don't want to talk about this with you right now. Let's just talk about the run-pass ratio that the horn should have this year. I, I, you know, like, why are we doing this? We understand the ground rules for this, right? You can, you, it's different than just being entertained together by life. So do you have people you're totally honest with? And if you're going, well, I don't know, I kind of do, you don't. It's one of those things you either know you have it or you're not certain, and that means you don't. So do you have Eli's in your life, people who, are, who really know how to pray for you, and you know them by name, and, and they know that they're that person for you, and that you are for them? If y'all don't know it or haven't talked about it, it's not it. There's a common commitment, Rowan Williams says to this, and we see this in this passage, in all of Eli and Samuel's weirdness of missing what's going on, there's this like honesty to how they're talking that's just refreshing, right? So Rowan Williams says, number one, we gotta have that. And the second thing is that the only requirement you gotta have is do you want the best for the other person? You don't have to be a religious expert. You don't have to have a PhD in theology. You don't have to have the title reverend in front of your name in order to be good in this kind of community. Now, that can be misleading in this passage because as we talked about, Eli is the chief priest of the people. So when I say, do you have an Eli? You're like, well, I'd love to have an Eli. He was like the holiest guy in all the land. Yeah, I'd love to have that kind of spiritual guidance. Like Samuel having that is like, feels like apples and oranges. But let's look below the text. As it says here, this is a very spiritually dry time in Israel. If there was a, a Mount Rushmore of chief priests in the Old Testament, Eli is not on it. This is not a time where the word of the Lord is being heard quite regularly. And it's not like scholars have puzzled through the years about how Eli came up with guiding Samuel, right? I mean, you don't need a PhD. It's like, if you hear a voice for the third time, go speak, your servant's listening. You know, it's not like scholars like, where did Eli come up with that to say that sort of thing? It's like, he gave him nothing that any of us couldn't do. It's like, I don't know, just say you want to listen. But what Eli has, what makes him so important and special in this passage, is he does want the best good for Samuel. He wants Samuel to hear that voice. Eli could feel very threatened by this. Because in this spiritual time, God's not talking to Eli. He's talking to this young apprentice. God's not talking to Eli's sons, who Eli is hoping will become the chief priest. He's talking to someone else in the temple. But Eli has this beautiful way of desiring the best good for Samuel. Do you have someone like that in your life? that you trust enough that they really want God's best for you and to help listen to you and pray with you and figure it out. It is essential that we all have that. So we are layering so much at our church right now to try to create really clear on-ramps into finding that, whether it's through small groups or whether it's through um, Bible studies like, like Lamplighters or Presbyterian Women or Downtown Men's Bible Study or Men in the Word or, or so many different things. We are trying to layer this time where if you go on our website, we don't want you to be able to navigate it without running into these places where we're like, do you have smaller community? Because as covenant's getting bigger, it must get smaller for everybody that's here. It's not about whether you're a part of a growing crowd. We have to have pockets of community where we're co-teaching and co-learning, where we're Eli's and Samuel's together. And we want to do everything we can do to have those on-ramps through D-groups for youth and everything else where you can find that place of being 
known. And that leads me to the second insight I have, which is connected. This was on our trip to the UK. That was the second time we went out of town this summer. So most of you know my wife is from the UK. We hadn't been there in a while, and so we got to go this summer for a while, and I got some times of solitude while I was there. And my solitude when I'm in the UK, it works a certain way. And when I say all this, uh, it's not that my life is in any level harder or job harder. All of us have challenges, but each of our lives and stuff is unique. And one of the unique parts for a pastor is how do you sp- stay spiritually alive in the midst of the work we do, right? There's beautiful parts of the work we do, that we get to be involved, but there's times where you can become this like dispenser of religious programs and knowledge all the time, and it starts feeling like you're just churning out religious products, right? And so it's like, I don't know if you're aware of this, Sunday rolls around every seven days. Like it keeps coming. And there's a part of me that times it's like, I've kind of said everything I've got. Like I don't really have anything else, but Sundays keep coming, right? And so like for me, those times of solitude are to go back and to like, it's like, Lord, what am I doing? And are my focus on the right things? And are my passions still there? Or is this just becoming a job? You know, is this just becoming the thing I do because I'm gonna be very ineffective? And so I always go back to like, what's the core part of Christianity? What was the thing that age 24 captivated me, that brought me to faith in Jesus? What was so unique about Jesus and Christianity that it changed the course of my life? And is what I'm doing in ministry tapping towards that, or am I just like doing religious stuff around it? It's a huge difference. So I sit with the Lord in that. And one of the things I was thinking about this year, as I went back to age 24, and as I look at life today, and I look for my children today, is we live in, it's one article in the Atlantic that was sent to me said, We live in in a meritocracy. We live in a world today where our worth and value is found by what we earn, by what we do, by our accomplishments, by our kids' accomplishments. Can we look at someone on the patio and say, this is what my kids are doing? It's like, yeah, I feel really good about that. And how do we leave the stuff out that we leave out and add the stuff in we add in? And what do we put on social media? Everything feels like you're earning and everything feels like you're trying to show and everything is about finding our own worth and seeing who's hanging out with who and how we feel left out and what that makes us feel like and all this kind of stuff. And, and, and what do we do to accomplish? And what I grew up in that, like you. I grew up in a culture that I grew up in a family that specialized in that. And there were expectations about what you do and how you work and how you succeed and what that looks like and where you go to college. And it was afterwards that it was so unique about Christianity to me was it's the one place that God says you can't earn a thing. You are loved. You are valued. You are somebody. You are created in the image of God. And the greatest things that you have accomplished that you want to show off to the world do not impress God or make you more valuable in God's eyes. And the worst, most shameful things you want to hide do not take away your value in God's eyes. And there was something about that when that set into my heart that it just swept me off of my feet in a sense of going like, I don't actually know if I believe that's true or if that's possible. And there's still moments in my heart where I'm like, I just don't know if that's how it works because there's nothing else that says that. That's the uniqueness of it. And it was focusing on that again that brought the second insight as to why that moment in Luchenbach meant so much to me. Because what I was saying to my group is, I don't have enough going on that demands a lot of your time. Let's focus on everything else. And the beauty to me of when they said, we're not here for the events in your life. What's going on in your mind and in your heart was it's the place that we get to embody that uniqueness. 
you're not invited into this kind of community because of your resume or because whether you went to college or how your kids are struggling or how they measure up or if they're on the honor roll. You are not invited in this community based on the number of things you do and the number of boards that you sit on or how your uh, zip code is or anything else. You are not invited for any of those reasons. None of it is the reason that we're here. We are here to say every voice, every person, every individual is wanted in this place and all of our Stories are equally unique, and we embody in those moments the very thing that makes our faith so special. And so you might be sitting there saying, growing smaller, you're now asking me to sign up for more. Yes, we are. <laughs> yes, we are. And we're asking you to say no to other things, because this is the one thing you can do that doesn't add to this. But where you leave there hearing and receiving the life God has for you. As life gets bigger, can you grow smaller and know the community you're walking with? And if not, there is nothing, nothing that we would rather spend our time and energy on than helping you find that. Because if you want to receive the life God has for you, you cannot do it alone. And so you are invited, desired, wanted, so that we can have the joy that God wants for us all. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we do ask that you would lead us and guide us to walk not just as individuals, but as community. Help us to have the courage to understand where we need to reach out, where we need to walk these on-ramps, where we need to take a chance of telling the truth, where we need to recommit ourselves to practices of community, not as a way of just saying this is what the fall is like ramping up, but so that we might hear your voice and receive your gospel, your good news in our lives so we can embody what makes our faith so unique. We ask for this and pray for your leading, for your guiding, and we pray for it in Christ's name, to walk together. And all God's people said, amen.